morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 63. So if you wouldn't mind turning in your Bibles to Psalms 63. And we're going to be talking about the habits of a worshiper. Now, when I say the habits of a worshiper, we could be talking about a thousand things. Um, throughout Scripture, there's a lot of habits of a worshiper. But today, we're going to be talking about some things that are going on in David's life. In fact, a little bit of backstory of David's life, or actually the Psalms. There are 150 Psalms, if you didn't recognize that. And of the 150 Psalms, 73 of those, 73 of those in Psalms are uh, given over to David. David wrote, penned out 73 of those, and actually his names given to those in Psalms. Two more are actually given to him, spelled out in the New Testament, saying David wrote those as well. So a combination of 75 psalms are attributed to David. Thirteen of those actually have a little background setting. You know, they might tell about where he was when he wrote it, or the situation that was happening when he wrote it. And today, this psalm that we're looking at, Psalm 63, he was actually in the desert, the Judean desert. Um, Some of you might say the desert of Judah, it's the same desert. He was in this desert writing this psalm. And so, we're going to talk about really what is the habits of a worshiper. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes in today's culture, I feel like we've grown numb to the very good news of Jesus Christ. And um, we've become so flippant or que sera about the very good news of Jesus Christ that we honestly come and say, okay, I'm coming to church to worship. So we show up at 8 o'clock, sometimes 7.59, sometimes 8.01, and we rush in to get to our seats, and the songs are singing, and we sing these songs, and we don't think about the words. And we sit there, and we start declaring these songs, and we might look around and say, I'm just talking to our neighbor over here, and we're laughing over here. And this whole time, the very lyrics and the very words that we see up on the screen are declaring the very goodness of Jesus Christ. And yet, we treat it like we're drinking or seeing some bar song. And we treat it like that. In the last several weeks, two weeks ago, Sid talked about worship and about the call to worship together. And then last week, Seth, when he was talking about Ezra and Nehemiah, and he, they actually came together, they read the scripture, they all stood and as he was reading, they were sobbing and tearing up because the very holiness of God, as spelled out through the scripture, shook their hearts. And then we come together and just say words that roll off our tongue, but many times without meaning. Is that ever you? Because that's me sometimes. This past week as I was studying, I, I, honestly, I was reading this passage, and we're going to read this in just a minute. But as I was reading this passage, I just started crying. Because I'm going, Lord, I want this. And sometimes I don't feel like I have this. I feel like I can go through the motions. I feel like I can just spew the words out. But God, make me have a habit and a heart of worship. So this morning, will you join me in Psalm 63? If you have those little blue Bibles, that's page 463. Will you join me in Psalm 63 as we read? Let's all stand together 
Because I love, we did it last week, I love the idea of just standing in honor, especially as we start out the service, standing in honor of God's word. Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my being longs for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and I have beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. And I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you and your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him. While the mouths of liars, they will be silenced. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we process this, as we unpack this, Lord, let our hearts seek you. We celebrate who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me be seated. This morning, as we look at this psalm, let us process this. Let us break this down. Let us unpack this together. And let us really take heart what is happening in David's life. As we look at verse 1 there, he says this, Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. Let's pause and just talk about that statement. Earnestly seeking, that is intense conviction. He's saying, with my whole being, God, I am seeking you. What do we seek? We seek our kids' daily schedule. We seek our jobs. We seek money. We seek fame. We seek boyfriend, girlfriend. We seek careers. We seek relaxation. We seek everything. But when's the last time we actually earnestly saw it? With earnest, with strong conviction, sought the Lord. See, tonight, we're gonna, or this morning, we're going to be talking about, really, that is the beginning of a habit of worship. In fact, that sets the tone for everything. Because when we earnestly seek God, it lays everything else out in place. In fact, because we earnestly seek God, it says, My soul thirsts for you, my being longs for you. Here we see David had a desperation for God. David was desperate for God. When was the last time you were desperate for God? Isn't it weird how we just have these foxhole moments in our life where we have desperation for God instead of a life of desperation? So often, we're not desperate for God, but David communicates his desperation for God by comparing himself to a dry land where there is no water. You know, um, the sons of Korah wrote this in Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. 
What are we desperate for? What are we longing for? What is, when we're dry, we can just soak it up. The dry land. Just imagine this big, barren, dry land with cracks in the ground, and all of a sudden floods of water come in. It just keeps soaking, 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 soaking up. And he's saying, listen, my soul is desperate for you, and I'm earnestly seeking you, God. And I'm dry, parched, thirsty for you. What are you thirsty for? You know, sometimes I think we're not thirsty because we don't really see our need for God. First step in worshiping God is understanding our need for God. And the more we see our need for God, the more we worship God in desperation. The more we see our need for God, the more we worship God in desperation. This can actually be seen in a a New Testament passage. In Luke 7... We're going to read through this. You don't have to turn there. It's all up here on the PowerPoint. Luke 7, Jesus was meeting with this group, and this came out here. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived in a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at, the, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. So she's down, wet, wetting his feet with her tears. And then she began to wipe her, his feet with the hair, kissing them, and pour perfume on them. When one of the Pharisees who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he goes, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had more money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wiped my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Well, who is this who can forgive sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, the more we see our need for God, the more desperate for God we are. The more parched we feel for Him. But here's the thing. There's a reason why we don't necessarily feel parched. There's a reason why we don't feel desperate for God. Because we feel like we have things under control. When, how often do you feel like you got, you got taken care of? I've got to work harder. I've got to try harder. I've got to fix this. If I could only improve this, I would have it all under control. And we try harder, stress out more. Or do we rest in his grace more and say, God, just like that woman, I am messed up. 
but I fall at your feet and I worship you and I wash your feet with my tears and my perfume. I give it to you because the more we see our need for God, the more we worship him in desperation. Too often we live like he doesn't even exist. Brothers, sisters, are we living like he doesn't exist? Let's keep reading. Verse 3 and 4. But your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with richest foods, with singing lips. My mouth will praise you. Not only was David desperate for God, but David praised and glorified God. He praised, and his response to God's love was one with hands lifted in worship and songs on his lips. You ever notice that when, when, in times of celebration, there's a song? There's a celebration with hands high? This past Friday night, I went to a Brewers game. They lost, if you didn't watch. It was a sad game. But there was a couple times, uh, there was one time that Yelich hit a home run. And when he hit that home run, everybody stood up, hands above their head, yeah, shouting. They're all excited. People are giving high fives to each other. There was like this moment of, there's a chance, with hands celebrated in the air. In the air. And then, over the PA, there's some music that plays, and everybody like, gets excited and stuff like that. And guess what? Here, we're singing this. David praised God and glorified God. In this passage, it says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And your name I will lift up my hands. Why is it so hard for us to lift up our hands? Why is it so hard for us when we're declaring the goodness of God? Why is it so hard for us to do this? We do this at a game. But when we come together and declare the goodness of Jesus Christ, the victory that we do have already, we do this. And we mumble through the words. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Some of us might shout it out. But why is it so hard? Because we have a very small view of God. Because we don't think highly of his love. In fact, that first part of that section there says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Because honestly, I don't think we too often believe that his love is better than life. In fact, we say, God, I want life. And your love is nice. But I, I want life. But he's saying your love is better than life. Why do we struggle singing and celebrating? Because we have a very small view of God. Or because, because we've become numb. And this, I think, is probably married to that first part. We have a very small view of God. And we've become numb to the very good, goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. I'm 40. I turned 42 this week. Yeah. And I got saved at five years old. So do the math. How many years ago was that? 37 years ago I got saved. I remember when I got saved, I remember, I remember putting my trust in Jesus, and I remember running through my house, telling all my brothers and sisters, you got to get saved. This is awesome. Because I just remember the joy of salvation in my heart. And this week I'm wrestling through this passage. I'm going, Lord, do I have the joy of my salvation? Because, God, sometimes I don't feel like I have that same 
thrill. And we are called to celebrate, give glory to God. But why? Because we need to keep His love in our focus. Colossians says this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father through Him. Here Paul is saying, listen, sing song, give thanks to God, sing with gratitude in your hearts because of this message of Christ. And what is that message? Well, I am glad you asked. That message is this, we see it in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. I preach to you which you have received, on which you have taken your stand. And by this, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins. Yes! Okay, I yelled in the mic, and I know that kind of got scary there for a second. But at a baseball game, we go, yes! So this morning, when I shout out that Christ died for our sins, let's practice that. Alright? I give you this of first importance. That Christ died for our sins. Yes! According to scriptures, that he was buried. Yes! That he... Uh, where am I? <laughs> that he was raised on the third day. Yes! According to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Some of them who are still asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Do we get that? That we become so numb to say that Christ died for our sins. That we stay calm. We have this hope in us that this world doesn't have. And there's a reason why people go to a brewer's game, brewer's game and celebrate, but they don't want to go to church and celebrate. Because the believers, those who have Jesus Christ, act like they are dead sometimes. We are the ones who are alive. And we act dead. And those who are dead act more alive. Does that seem backwards? So this I tell you of first importance. That Christ died for our sins. Guys, we need to praise God. We need to celebrate His goodness. The greater view we have of God's love, the louder the song is in our heart. The greater view we have of God's love, the louder the song is in our heart. And it's a song that the greater view we have, it's harder to remain quiet. Now, some people are more naturally quiet. I am not that person. And I recognize that. But guess what? When you look at the disciples, there was quiet ones and there was loud ones. But they all declared the goodness of Jesus Christ. When you look at Moses, who was scared to go before Pharaoh, he actually said, God, my lips are so fearful. Bring someone with me. I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to walk in obedience. We are all called to go in obedience and declare the very goodness of God. So David, he was desperate for God. David, he praised and glorified God. 
But also, not only that, David remembered God. In verse 6 of chapter 63, he said, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings, and I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. His thoughts regularly came back to the goodness of God. His thoughts regularly came back to the protection of God. Where are our thoughts? Throughout the night, through all watches of the night, it says, my thoughts come back to you. What do we think about at night? Some of us stay up at night just going, ah. And his thoughts were thinking about the very, being in the shadow of the wings of God. That's kind of a weird phrase, isn't it? David used that three other times in Psalms. In Psalm 17, he says, Keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. In Psalm 36, he said this, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like a highest mountain. Your justice is like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. In Psalm 57, he says this, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disasters have passed. Each of these, each of these are him coming to God in the shadow of his wings as a hen covers over its chicks. That's what our Father does for us, protecting us, guarding us. Do we look to him for that protection? Another phrase he likes to say here, he goes, as I cling to you and your right hand upholds me. The idea of clinging, holding tightly for dear life. Do we hold tightly for dear life to God? I just want to share a quick, bad father story. This is my story. Bad father moment. About six or seven years ago, I took my family and we went to this park called Franklin Creek because there was a creek called Franklin Creek that went through the park. And we went on a hike. And so six years ago, I had like a six or seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a ten-year-old. And we're walking through this, and we got about a mile back. Beautiful scenery. Oh, I love this park. And, we, and we, get, we get to this point where we're going to this path, and it crosses the creek. You have to walk through the creek. Well, the water is only, I don't know, ankle deep. So we're going through this creek, and we're splashing in it for a minute. I say, guys, should we head back? And like, yeah. I go, what if we head back in the creek? So, like, okay. So my wife goes, well, I'm not getting in the water. Because my wife doesn't like any water that she can't see the very bottom of it she didn't want to go into. And she recognized it wasn't going to stay ankle deep the whole way. So she's walking along the shore. I had the three kids. We're walking through. And this water starts to ankle deep. And all of a sudden it goes to knee. And then it goes to waist. And little Eli and little Claire and little Micah were getting a little, getting a little deep for them. But Mike and Claire were still taller, so they're fine. But all of a sudden, it's getting to the point where it's getting up to here to me, and then here to me. And Eli's like, Dad! So he comes over, and he puts his arms around my neck. And I'm walking through the water with him choking me. (laughs) And we get to the point where it's actually too deep. It's over my head. 
So we swim to the side and we climb out. Right, guys, this is not safe. We can't do this. We can get out of the water. So we get out of the water and we walk about half, well, I don't know, quarter mile back. And then we go, you know what? I think the water's shallow again. Let's do it again. All right. So we jump in that water again. Okay, now this is where the bad father story starts. All right. So we're walking through the water and I'm like, whoa, did you feel that? And all the kids were there. What? But Eli was right next to me. I think it was a snake. I said, what? A snake? And we're walking. And all the leaves had blown into this creek. And so it was kind of a spongy bottom. And I go, do you feel that we're walking on? I think it's a snake's nest. (laughs) Told you a bad father. (laughs) I own it. So we're walking. Like, whoa, I saw it again. And as we're walking... I had this awesome idea. I'm going to pretend the snake pulls me underwater. So I'm walking. I go, whoa! And I go underwater. And I'm under there for like, it seemed like forever, but it was like three seconds. And I'm just like, and I jump up. And all of a sudden, Eli... Eli, you ever see those cartoons where they're running in midair? <laughs> Eli climbed up my leg, getting on my shoulders, holding and sitting on me, holding on like this, screaming for dear life, clinging on. Bad dad story, but great analogy. <laughs> what are we clinging on to? See, he's here, right here he's saying, I'm holding desperate onto you, God. For you are my protection. You are the wing that covers over me. You, I cling unto you because in you I have life. I'm clinging unto you because I know that you protect me. You are my guardian. You are my protector. And in life, we try to fix things and work things and do things instead of looking to our protector. We need to live in the shadow of his wings. Where do you turn when life is hard and circumstances stink? What we cling to most in tough times shows what we trust in most. Do we hold on to money? Do we hold on to family? Do we hold on to our jobs? Do we say, well, I have to do this because, and we're freaked out? Or we say, God, what do you have me do? Because I trust you. You see, worship in life is looking at him in desperation. Worshiping life is praising him and giving thanks to him. Worshiping in life is looking to him and living in the rest of his wings. Going, God, I don't have this, but you got this. Are we worshiping him with our life? But not only that, are we rejoicing in God? Keep reading, it says, Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him. While the mouths of liars, they will be silenced. Many people look at this passage and go, Oh, David, he was brutal because he was just talking about how his enemies are going to be destroyed and killed. No, he wasn't brutal. He was actually talking about how his God is going to be victorious. The focus of that is not as much that they are going to die as much as he trusts in his God. Are we rejoicing in our God? 
It was understanding that God, you know what? I don't know what the future holds, but I know you're victorious. I don't know if you guys heard that phrase. I know the end of the story and I know who wins. Guess what? We know the end of the story and we know who wins. So why do we walk in defeat? We can rejoice thanking God for the victory that he's already accomplished in us. Absolutely, right? Are we rejoicing? Some of you might be saying, well, Pastor Nate, Pastor Nate, this is all great. But did David, was he really going through a tough time? And we know he had some ups and downs. But was this this really, really that bad of a time for him? I mean, what were the circumstances that brought this about, brought this writing out? I'm glad you asked. Because this morning, the last couple minutes, I want to give you the backstory of this passage. You can move on here. The backstory of this passage. You're going to see th- this, 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 this is the land of Israel in the time that King David was king, towards the end of his reign, the last several years. You're going to see three main circles. You've got Hebron, Jerusalem, Baal Hazar, and Geshur region. The Geshur region. Those are important cities, and I want, I'm going to tell here right in a second, right? The story of this wilderness that the Psalm 63 was written is actually, the backstory goes back to 2 Samuel 11 through 18. And it all starts with the story many of us know, the story of David and Bathsheba. David stole Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and killed Uriah. And because of that, Nathan, the prophet, came and said, Listen, the sword will never depart from your house. And the next several chapters of 2 Samuel, we actually see this lived out, playing into the wilderness time. This includes three different key people besides David. Amnon, who is David's son. Absalom, who is David's son and half-brother to Amnon. And Tamar, who is Absalom's full sister, but half-brother to Amnon. You guys get that? I know it's kind of confusing there. So Amnon, David's son. Absalom, David's son. Tamar, David's daughter. Absalom and Tamar are full brother and sister. Amnon is a half-sibling to those guys. Different mom. With me? All right. In this passage, we see what happens. Amnon had this weird desire for his sister, a perverted desire. He wanted her. And so Amnon decided decided that he was going to make this whole scheme of a way to take advantage of his sister. His half-sister, Tamar. And so he goes, I'm going to pretend to be sick. So he pretended to be sick. King David said, Tamar, why don't you go tend to your brother? He's sick. He needs help. So Tamar, in Jerusalem, went to him and said, Amnon, I'm here to help you. And, and started feeding. And he's pretending like, I can't eat. I'm so weak. And she came to him. And then it says, he came on to her. She rejected him. And then he raped her. Pretty sad story. So right now, in David's life, we have David's son raping David's daughter. But what did David do? It says he, the Bible says he became furious. Furious. But did nothing. So Absalom, Absalom, who is Tamar's full brother, was mad. Like irate. Like, how could you do this to my sister? So he started this, he told Tamar, Tamar, relax, don't worry, we've got this under control. And he took two years before he did anything. But after two years, Absalom had this plan. 
So Absalom invited Amnon to Belhazor and said, I'm having a party. I'm going to invite you, my other brothers, and in fact, I'm going to invite David as well. So he invited David and all the brothers. David actually turned down going because he was too busy. And the brothers all came. And they had this party. And after he got Amnon drunk, he killed him. And then he took off to the land of Geshur. That Geshur region right there. Because he was running. Because he knew that he killed another prince. He couldn't live in the land. So for two years, he lived away from Israel. Just outside of Israel. And after a couple of years, someone, one of the David's guys came to him and said, David, why don't you invite Absalom back to your home? And David's like, ah. But then he kind of talked him and tricked him into doing it and goes, fine, fine, fine. He can come. He can come live in Jerusalem. But I, I don't mind if he lives in Jerusalem, but I don't want to see him. I don't want to talk to him. I want nothing to do with him. Well, of course, Absalom, even though he was angry and he killed Amnon, he was still angry at his dad David. Why was he angry at his dad David? Because his dad David did nothing. So he came back to Jerusalem. He lived in Jerusalem for four years. But couldn't look at his dad. Couldn't talk to his dad. During that four years, Absalom started thinking, I'm better than my dad. I'm going to be king. How do I take his kingship? I win the hearts of the people. So Amnon, every day for four years, he went out to the gates of Jerusalem. And as people were coming in, they would say, he would say, what's your business? And they would say, well, I am here to see the king because I have a complaint. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. The king doesn't have time for you. If I were king, I would take time for you. He did that day in and day out. On top of that, every time someone would come to him, they would recognize him as the son of the king. They would bow down before him. He would grab them by the hand, pull them up, embrace them, and kiss them on the cheek. Winning the hearts of the people. For four years this went on. David, oblivious to it. After four years, Absalom goes, you know what, how do I finalize this? I know, I'm going to go down to Hebron. Now what is special about Hebron? Hebron is where actually David was anointed king and he started his kingship. That was his capital for seven and a half years. So it was a thing of a king to be anointed there, especially the son, the next son. So Absalom went from Jerusalem down to Hebron and he goes, I'm going to go down there, but how do I still process this? I know I'm going to bring 200 men from my father's David's court with me. They don't have a clue what's going on but I'm going to go down there and invite them. In fact, I'm going to even invite my dad's King David. I'm going to invite his advisor with me. So he invited all these men to go down to Hebron. And he goes, when I, and then he told them to make an announcement. He sent out a secret message to all of Israel. And this was a secret message. When I make an altar, when I sacrifice on the altar, and you hear the trumpets blowing in Hebron, it's going to spread throughout the land of Israel because it's all mountain region. I want you to declare Absalom is king. Absalom is king. So this happened. Absalom came, sacrificed, the trumpets blew. Shouts throughout the whole land of Israel. Absalom is king. And all of a sudden, word came back to Jerusalem that David was being overtaken by his son Absalom. Absalom left Hebron, went back to Jeru- was heading back to Jerusalem, and there was word, David, you have to leave. He has the heart of the people... He's got some of your men, 
and he's coming back to Jerusalem. David left. And where did he go? The Judean desert. And that's where he penned 63. Son raped daughter. Son killed son. Son lied to him, schemed, tried to steal his kingdom. Was he desperate for God? I don't know the last time I checked him. Probably none of us have that story. Not that complete story. Let's read that passage one more time and just celebrating God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you and my soul thirsts for you. My being longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And I've seen you in the sanctuary and I beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And I will praise you as long as I live and your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you, and I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings, and I cling to your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed, and they will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals, but the king will rejoice in God, and all who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This morning, I'm going to ask this question. Do you have a heart of worship? When the good, the bad, and the ugly happen, do you, do you live in desperation for God? Do you sit there going, God, the bad happens, but I'm still going to praise and worship you. I'm going to glorify your name. Do we hold tightly on him like Eli held onto my neck and say, I am not letting go? Do we rejoice even though, the, even though our solution has not come yet? You know, David, he's celebrating the goodness of God before he actually saw the victory. We call that in today's world, faith. He had faith, trusting God. Are we rejoicing in God, knowing that God, you are victorious, the victory is done, and I know who won. This morning, are you willing to worship? But not just this morning. Are you willing to get up tomorrow morning and say, God, I'm desperate for you. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Are you willing to declare the praises of God, clinging on to Him and rejoicing in Him? My prayer, my call, is that we throw away the numb life and celebrate the victory of Christ in us. That we throw away the living of death and say, I am alive in Christ. And that is something worth living for because I have it. Let's pray. Father, you are good. We thank you for your mercy and your grace that is so free. Oh God, you are our God. And your love is better than life. This morning we celebrate that life in us. That your love is life. So let us worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name.